Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. Come on, I want to say thank you for fighting the snow. Thank you for pushing through and being here today. I'm glad you didn't miss it because it's a great day in the house of God. And uh, we're so glad to be here. I just want to say a couple of thanks to two people here today. Firstly, I want to say thank you to Yinka. Yinka, you in the room? Oh, there he is. He bows his head in humility. Yinka was out in the snow this morning putting up all of our signs. And I just want to say thank you, Yinka, for doing a great job. Thank you, sir. And then Aaron, are you in the room? I don't know where Aaron is, but Aaron's somewhere. But Aaron made our coffee this morning. So if you have any of our coffee, make sure you thank her because she warmed us on the inside and Yinka helped us get in the building today. So thank you, sir. Come on, let's put our hands together for these guys. Awesome. Well, come on. Well, we're going to get back into the Word today. I'm so glad you're here in the house of the Lord. We're excited about at the end of this month, we're having a vision weekend. Uh, God has been speaking so clearly to me about this next season of our church, really actually taking me back, 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 reminding me of, of what He's called uh, our church to, what He's called me to, what He's called us to. And we, my wife and I are so excited. I just sense in my heart it's going to bring a fresh breath and fresh wind into our sails as a church and give each of us focus and vision. And, and uh, if you think about it, prayer for my wife and I today and our, our eldership team and our leadership team. We're having a, a really important meeting today, just praying about our future and this next season. And so you're going to want to come on the 19th and 20th. 19th, we're having our Brazilian friends from uh, Ontario come. And from Viva Church, another place. They're going to lead worship on Saturday night. We're going to worship. I'm going to pray. We're going to, or we're going to pray. Not, I will do some prayer, but we'll all be all of us. And we're going to minister over people. And it's just going to be a powerful night. And then the next day, we're going to do some vision cast uh, in just for 2023. And look about where we've been, uh, where we are, and what God has for us in this next season. So I'm going to make sure, mark your calendars, uh, November 19th and 20th. So. Come on. Thank you, Lana. Come on. Well, we're going to get into it today. Uh, in, um, it, we've been in a series. This will be our 10th week. We will finish this series uh, on 13 weeks. That's a long series. Wow. Uh, but I just felt the Lord, every time I tried to go somewhere else, he said, stop it. Don't even think about it. So I said, okay, Lord. So I just stay right here in this idea of momentum. What we've been talking about for the last 10 weeks has been, how do we as a church continue to have spiritual momentum in our church? Uh, I don't want to just be a church that just shows up and just does our thing and just has, you know, uh, boards and programs and, you know, and we just kind of look the part and we just do our thing. No, I want to be, uh, I want to look as close as we can to the early church and see miracles and healing and transformation in people's lives. I want to see followers of Christ passionate for the things of God. And I want to see lost people saved and disciples made and people water baptized. And I want to see churches planted and missionaries sent. And I want to see miracles and demons fleeing and marriages being restored and children being raised up. And I want to see a New Testament early church exemplified at Love City Church. That's what I want. And so I said, all right, what are we going to do? We're going to study the book of Acts. And we've been looking at the book of Acts. And we've been in this scripture, literally, I've mentioned it every week for 10 weeks. And so if you say, I don't know it yet, you need to go back. Go back and listen to this whole series uh, as we look at this today. But this is the word, the, the scripture we've been looking at, that God moved in a powerful way. The Holy Spirit came down. The church started. 3,000 people were added to the church that day. And Dr. Luke, who, who gathered uh, hundreds of different interviews, he was a doctor. He didn't know, he was never there 
with Jesus. He was never one of the 12 disciples. He later became a follower of Christ through the apostle Paul. And uh, he began to follow Paul around. And actually many theologians believe that when Paul was on trial in Rome, they asked uh, Luke to go and be a part of his legal team and collect all of these interviews to prove that what Paul is saying is true. And so he did as he collected all of these different things to try, to try to help the people understand the early church and what happened in the church, the historical account. And so we see a move of God, and this is, scripture is really the definition of what the people of God did, what the early church did to, to see spiritual momentum. Dr. Luke wrote this down and said, okay, God moved. 3,000 people were at it. Now, what did the church do? He says they were devoted to these three things. All the believers devoted themselves. How many? All. Not some, not... 1% or 2%, not 50%, all of the believers habitually devoted themselves to the word of God, the truth of God's word, even when the culture says that it's not right and when the culture says it's not nice and the culture says it doesn't make sense, it doesn't matter. God's word remains true through generation to generation. Uh, to fellowship, that word is coined in relationships. We create that environment in groups, but it can really happen in any con context in our church. But you could habitually commit it to fellowshipping with one another and to sharing in meals together and, and doing communion together and prayer. We look at that. That doesn't just mean prayer. That means they gathered together to pray and to worship, and we do that on Sundays and Wednesdays. We say these are the three things they did to generate spiritual momentum in the local church, and they never allowed themselves to deviate from these three commitments in their life. They said, I'm going to be devoted to the word of God. I'm going to be devoted to the fellowship of the believers, and I'm going to be devoted to gathering together with the saints, even when I don't like it, even when I don't feel it, even when I don't want to. It is a devotion, and it is a commitment that I've personally made because of what Christ has done in my life. And so we talked about now in this series, the second part is the, the, the results of that. What are the results of this devotion? And we see it. He writes down this scripture, verse 42, and then he goes right into verse 40, uh, 43 to 47. Well, they began to give all, meet all the needs and began to do all these things and they gathered together and there was no needs among the people and they prayed and they gathered together and they were in each other's homes. He, he taught this, the results of this momentum is there's boldness in our faith to share the gospel. There is a fear of the Lord to realize that when the angels stood around the throne of God, they didn't say, love, love, love is the Lord God Almighty. They said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That they recognize there's a fear of the Lord. And we talked about this last week. There was an intense servanthood to lay their lives down in the scripture. All throughout the New Testament, find it for me. All throughout the New Testament, we see that every single time they talked about loving one another, they were talking about believers loving one another in the context of the ecclesia, the local church. He was talking about laying your life down and serving one another. So now today we come to an interesting text. We're, we're, we're jumping now. Now what happened was is God moved in Acts 2 and then uh, Luke wrote this verse and then he says, okay, this is what they did and this is the result. And then he goes back to chapter three and says, let me tell you another story about Peter and John and this is what they did and God moved in a miracle and, and they were put before the Sanhedrin and they gathered back to the church and the church prayed and the spirit of God moved again. And then he described once again in Acts chapter four what they did. Well, they had no needy people among them and there was miracles among them and all of these different descriptions of what the early church did. And then again, Luke used an example after that in Acts 4. He says, now let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. And look what he says in our verse today. He says, there were no needy people among them. We talked about this last week about how there was a spirit of servanthood in the church because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give 
to those in need. Now, it's very interesting today that, that Dr. Luke here, and I, my wife says, why do you keep calling him Dr. Luke? To remind you that he's a doctor and that he's not an idiot. <laughs> he's a smart guy. And he chose to write this scripture, write this verse at the heels of the second. The first part was, these are the three things you're devoted to. Now, the second time he's describing the church, he talks about money. And it's very fascinating. If you do a study in the book of Acts, did you know that every single chapter in the book of Acts refers to money? And we see here something very fascinating about this scripture is that biblical financial stewardship was absolutely of primary importance for the early church. In fact, look what, look what he does in the scripture. He continues this verse and he, he gives us an example. For instance, let me give you an example. There was Joseph. The one apostles nicknamed Barnabas. Barnabas was one of the greatest men of God in the New Testament. You don't hear much about him, but he was one of the greatest prophets, one of the greatest speakers. He was with Paul in every ministry journey. Barnabas was one of the keys to to the success of the early church, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned. He brought the money to the apostles. So he uses an example. Let me give you, for instance, There was no needy people among them, and they began to sell land and and houses, not not their own house, extra they had and things they had. And he says, let me give you one example. The example is is that Barnabas is in the church, this mighty man of God, brought the money to the apostles. And then he says this, now a man named Ananias in the church, a Christian, early church, was there on Sunday, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property, same situation. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money, notice this language, for himself. He brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. So remember, we're studying the early church reality, and we're seeing that Luke here is talking about money. These are Christians. This is the early church. This context, if you study it out yourself, you'll find that they were gathering together in, in, in the ecclesia. They gathered together. The church were together, and that would be a common thing. We don't do that in our services. We don't have people bring money up front because I see people get up and dance on top of it, and that's not our thing. <laughs> Just kidding. We don't do that. Uh, and we also notice we never ask for your money during the service because I think that's between you and the Holy Spirit. And if I can teach you right, the scriptures, I'll just trust you'll just be obedient to the word of the Lord. Look what it says, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. And then Peter said to Ananias, how is it that you, Satan has, look at this, he's a Christian, he's in the church, Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept yourself some of the money you received from the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? He says, you didn't need to give us all the money or even say that you did. You could have just given us a part of it. You Just whatever the Lord was telling you to do. And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to to humans, but you've lied to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what happened. You don't often hear this scripture on Sunday, do you? (laughs) And then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what happened. And Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Well, yes, that's the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you all out, also out. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. And the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Now, that's a very sobering story. And 
You don't often hear that on a Sunday service because pastors don't like to talk about it. (laughs) That there was this sense in the early church that money had tremendous value in the eyes of God. We learn this in this story that the early Christians, how did they learn? How did Barnabas and Sapphira and Ananias learn to do this? What, what, why would they bring this offering to the Lord? Why would they do this on a Sunday? Why would they bring this in the gathering of the saints? Well, we remember that the early church Christians did not have a New Testament Bible. All they had was the Old Testament, some of the, uh, the prophets and, and, and the, the wisdom books, but most of what they learned about Jesus and most of what they learned about, uh, about this, this, this Messiah Christ was through the apostles' teaching. They learned about Jesus through the, through the apostles. And so the apostles would often teach them, this is what Jesus taught about our finances. This is what Jesus taught about money. This is what Jesus said. And so it's important that we understand what Jesus said. Did you know that the number one topic that Jesus talked about was the kingdom of God? You know, the second talked about 50% more than heaven and hell was money. So he, took, he talked about two topics when he was on earth, the kingdom of God and money. It was important to Jesus. It was important to the early church. It was important to the house of God to make sure that every person who called themselves followers of Jesus Christ understood the power of biblical financial stewardship. So what did Jesus teach about money? What did he teach these apostles that they taught the early church? Luke, Dr. Luke again. Remember, he didn't meet Jesus, wasn't there. This was an account that he had heard from someone else when he interviewed them. And this is what he said, the one who is faithful and very little is also faithful in much. The one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you haven't been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, how, how, who, who will entrust you with true riches, eternal riches? And if you haven't been trustworthy with someone else's property, what God gave us, who will give you your own? And so Jesus here is contrasting two different types of things here. He's contrasting those who manage the money God gives you well and those who don't manage the money God gives you. The the, the two situations are God gives you money and you manage it. And God gives you money and you don't manage it well. And he says there's a difference between these two realities. And he begins to talk about biblical financial stewardship and he lays a theological foundation for you and I to understand. He says that no servant can serve two masters. So now he identifies there's two masters involved for either he will hate the one and love the other, look at this word, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. He says, okay, this is Jesus teaching the people. So listen, there are two gods out there. There are are two uh, ways to serve. You can serve God with your money or you can serve the spirit of mammon. You can manage what God gives you well or you can manage what God gives you not well. There's only two options in the scripture. And the interesting thing about this verse is that that word mammon, which you might already know the word money there is the word mammon. The word mammon there, it actually is taken from, uh, it, it's, it's, this, I, it's this Aramaic word which means riches. It's actually a Babylonian god called the god of riches. And so he says you can either serve the spirit of God or you can serve the spirit of money. You can either serve the spirit of God or you can see, serve the spirit of mammon. He says that is your option. You're either a master to one. So if my finances are not completely submitted to God, the only alternative would be what? that I'm submitted to the spirit of mammon, the spirit of money. In fact, the spirit of mammon has been the very method by which the enemy of our souls has been tricking us and tempting us for many, many years. Mammon, the spirit of mammon, promises things that, 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 that only God can give. 
security, significance, identity, independence, and power and freedom. It promises us that it can insulate us from life's problems and the money is the answer to every situation. It wants to rule your life and is attempting to steal your heart away from God. Look at this in 1 Timothy. Paul says to Timothy, his young pastor, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world. We brought nothing into the world and we can't take nothing out of it But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. If we have enough, which God provides, we're content. He says, teach those who are rich in the world. Now, we are the rich ones in this room. There might be a class of measurement of those of you who make a heck of a lot more money than I do, but the truth is, let's be honest, we're all pretty darn rich compared to the world. So teach those who are rich in the world, us, to not be proud and not trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives all we need for our enjoyment. He continues in verse nine, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and they face a trap and they fall into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money. The love of money, the spirit of money is a root of all kinds of evil. I want you to see this. Some people eager for money, look at this, have wandered from faith. Followers of Jesus have chosen the spirit of man and not realizing I'm in the church, I go to church, I'm a Christian, I do my thing, but I've stopped trusting in God with my finances and I've started trusting in the spirit of man and and without realizing that they wandered away from the faith, look, and they pierced themselves with many griefs. You see here that the spirit of man is in opposition to God. The spirit of man tries to take the place of God. Mammon tells us to take and hoard. God says give and trust. Mammon is selfish. God is generous. Mammon says buy and sell. God says sow and reap. This is what the enemy wants for us. He wants to get our motivation off of God and off of thankfulness for what he's provided and onto money, the love of money, the driven of money. Money starts security. I need more money. I need more things. Now, next week, we're going to go, today we're talking about biblical, biblical uh, financial stewardship. Next week, we're going to talk about spirit-led generosity and the big piece of that is debt. We'll talk a little bit about that. I'm going to help you. I believe this is going to help you in your journey with God. Thank God, my wife and I, we we don't carry any debt. Praise God. And the only reason is by God's faithfulness. And we believe that in 2022, I prophesied this last year, that in our church, people would get out of debt, supernaturally out of debt. And I believe there's people in the room who've told me I've gotten that debt. I think, I don't remember who it was, but there's been three or four people who've come to me over the last, uh, you know, nine months and said, I've gotten out of debt. It was hard work. It was effort. But the Holy Spirit helped me. And I got out of debt. And was able to start to use my money for the kingdom of God and to do things that I never thought that God could do with my finances. So what do we do about this? Okay, so the reality is I've painted a picture for you that in the church there was a choice between the spirit of mammon and the spirit of God. Every one of us today, every day has a choice. When you go to work, you can go for the spirit of God. You can go for the spirit of money. You can go because you trust in God or because you trust you need that money. You need that promotion. You need that thing. Why? What are you driven by in your life? And this is the question. Where, who, well, who does my money belong to? Is it God's money? Or is it, or is it my money? Does it belong to God or does it belong to me? Did, I, did he provide it or did I work to get it? And, you know, God, I worked really hard for this money. Did God involved in that or is it, is it just me? The question comes down to this, and I want you to hear this today. Who is first in my life? Is God first or am I first? Is it my wants 
or is it God wants? I know this is sobering today, and I really apologize, but I would be disobeying God if I did not teach this to you. Is it God's way, or is it my way? Now, we understand the Bible actually teaches us. In fact, the two uh, wisest men on the planet, Jesus, we've already heard from him, and now Solomon teaches us. He actually gives us an insight. And what these next few verses I'm going to show you are all culminating with a theme, a, a, a theme that's ingrained throughout the entire Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation. You will find it. And I would love for those in the room who want to have a conversation with me later about this, please come and talk to me because I can show you in Scripture how it teaches you how to have biblical financial stewardship and fight off the spirit of mammon in the area of your finances. Solomon, the wisest man on the thank you, the wisest man on the planet, said this, Proverbs 3, honor the Lord with your wealth. Give glory to God, give him praise, make him big with your wealth. Now that word wealth there, you immediately probably think it means riches. Actually, that word wealth means your enough, your your, your substance, your sufficiency. It's not talking about an above and beyond thing, like you win the lottery and I'm just gonna honor God with my wealth, though if you wanna do that, praise God. But I, I, I mean, this is not talking about an extra above and beyond offering. This is talking about something within your means. It's a honoring the Lord with your wealth. And then he identifies what it is with the, look at this, first fruits of all your crops. So the wisest man on the planet that ever walked on the earth other than Christ said, okay, honor the Lord with your, with your enough. Honor the Lord with what you have. And then he tells us what it is. It is the first fruits of all of your crops. Not the excess of your income, not the last of your income, not the middle of your income. Look what he says, the first of your income. And there is a powerful promise that comes from honoring God with the first. There is a first portion. It has supernatural power. It unlocks something in your life. It unlocks something in your finances. He says, then, everyone say then, then. your barns will be filled overflowing. It doesn't say he gives you a new barn. It says he just fills the barn you have. It doesn't say he's going he's gonna to cause you to have so many vats of wine. You know, he just says you have one vat of your, your vats that you have. He's going to cause those to brim over. So the idea here is that I don't give my first to God and then I just, I, I get rich quick. Or I give my first and then he gives, me, he gives me a bunch more. No, 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 he doesn't do that. What he does is he blesses what's already in your barn. He redeems it. And this is what we learn from this. There is something Special to God about the first. Why? Because the first, and I'm going to teach you this, and I need you to catch this. I believe this with all my heart. I, I, I won't go into it, but I just believe I'm attacking something today. The first of your finances is holy to the Lord. It belongs to God. It is not mine. It is not yours. Now, let me take a little moment. I was debating whether I'd say this. This message and next week's message has nothing to do with our need for your money because we don't need your money. Right. Guess why? Guess, guess why? Because God takes care of his church. Yes. God takes care of his church, amen. amen? I love preaching things like this because I'm not preaching from a problem. I'm not preaching, you know, go to churches when they're like, you know, there's a problem with the finances when the pastor starts preaching on money. <laughs> That's not the case here. I'm teaching this to you because I know what's best, what's best for your life and it's what the Bible teaches. He says there's, there's something supernatural, and this is what I, I'm nervous about, that many of us think that the first belongs to us when it doesn't. Scripture teaches us this. Romans 11.6, look what it says. 
it's the, if, if the first portion of the dough offered as the first fruits, okay, so you have a dough, and the first portion of that dough is offered as a first fruit. Listen, look what it says. It's holy, and it causes the whole batch to be holy. And so look what he says in the scripture. He says, okay, this part, which part of your finances is holy? Is it the eighth? Is it the sixth? Is it after the bills are paid and everything's done and I got my kids to, to vacation? And it, okay, then, no, no, it says, literally the Bible teaches us that this is the only holy part of your finances. And it belongs to God. Look what he says here. He says, and what happens is, is that if the first part of your batch is holy, look what he says, then it redeems the rest. So if this belongs to God, he says, okay, now I'm gonna cause everything that you have in your bank account to be blessed. No, you won't be a billionaire. No, you don't name it, claim it, and give your 10, and then you get this and get that. That is a bunch of baloney, and it's a false theology. We don't give to God, and we give to get. That's, that's malarkey. What he does is, is he blesses what he's already given us, are enough. We can do on 90% what people who have 120% of debt can't do because he blesses it. He blesses it. What's Paul, what, what did Solomon and Paul get these ideas from? He actually took them from Moses. And what we're talking about here is tithing. I'm just gonna, the word tithe, and don't be afraid, it's okay. <laughs> tithing means 10. It doesn't mean eight. Just how, what, how, what does doesn't mean? Does it mean Five. Just so you know, so if, if you say, oh, I'm just going to give two, it's not, you're not tithing. Tithing is 10. Like, I hate to say it, but that's just what it is. That's just the word. In fact, do a study. In the Old Testament, every time the word 10 is used, it's, it's connected to a test. All throughout the Old Testament. We see here that this idea of 10, Solomon and Paul got this from Leviticus. And this is the scripture that he uses. A tithe of everything. This is God talking to the people of Israel. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, it belongs to the Lord. Look, it is holy to the Lord. So we recognize today that the first part is holy and that when we give our tithe, we are not giving. When you give your tithe, you are not being generous. You are returning it to the Lord because it is His. Now, next week, we'll talk about what it looks like to be generous, spirit-led generosity. But you can't be spirit-led generous until you tithe. You can't be spirit-led in your generosity. The Bible teaches us very clearly. I'm going to show you next week until you recognize that the first belongs to the Lord. And what he does is he redeems it. He protects it. He guards it. I want to illustrate this on the screen. I I want to show you this scripture here today. Of scripture all the way back in, in Malachi. And this is our goal. And I want to show you next week. So you honor God with your wealth. You honor God with your 10%. Not 8%, 4%, 10%. And what happens is, is that he blesses the 90%. And this is called biblical margin. And what you'll find is that no matter, even though you say, well, I don't have enough. Well, you will have enough because you'll watch what he does supernaturally. Listen, I've lived the last 10 years of my life not making very much money. Now, God, you, we're blessed and thank you, church, for blessing us. But but the truth is, is that for the last 10 years, 20 years of my relationship with wife, my wife, we've never made a lot of money, but for somehow we always see every single need met above and beyond. Why? Because we recognize that God can do with 90 what you can't do with 120. Yeah, come on, come on. And so what he does is it brings godliness and contentment and satisfaction and enjoyment and all my needs met and complete provision. I live 120% life on 90%. Amen. 
See, what we see here in the scripture is that, that, that God was talking to his people and he was worried about his, the people of God and they had strayed from him and he, they, were, they, were, they loved him and they were still his people, but he just wanted them to, 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 to really understand uh, that he wanted them to come back. And look what he says in the scripture. He says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Jesus, this is God talking to his people. Come on, just come back to me. And then the people are like, what are you talking about? It says, you ask, how, how, how are we to return? The NLT says, how can we return when we have never turned away? Like, I have not turned away from you. God, I'm right here. <laughs> I pray and I do my thing. And like, you know, I, you know, I believe once in a while in miracles. And, you know, I do my thing, God. I'm here. Like, what do you mean? How have we turned away from you? And look what God says to him. Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? And then he says this. Oh, God. How are we robbing you? I read my Bible. I pray. Man, just Jesus and me. I do my thing. I, I give to charity. I, you know, I, I do my, God, I am faithful to you in all of these things. And he says, how am I robbing you, God? What do you mean I've fallen away from? What do you mean my heart's far from you? And then he says this, in the tithes and the offering. Return to me and I will return to you. God, how have we fallen away from you? Well, you're keeping back what's mine. Well, how do, how do we, what do we do, God? Okay, in your tithes and your offerings, he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. See, this is something very fascinating in the scripture because we have to understand something, that this has been a challenge for every single person on the planet who chooses to follow Jesus, that we start by giving our heart and then our relationships and then our time and then our effort. And the very last thing that God wants from us is, is okay, I don't want all your money. I just want what belongs to me. I gave it to you in the first place. I want you to return it back to me. And the reason I want you to do that, because this is why, look, he says, and thereby put me to the test. Test me. I, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is more and more, no more need. A lot of people would say, oh, he's going to bless you. Hallelujah. He's going to give you nice cars and nice houses. Uh, glory to God. No, no, no. He says, I'm going to give you a blessing until there is no more what? Need. God, how am I going to pay? God, I don't have enough money to do this. Hey, you give it back to me and I'll help you in that. You will find one. I tell a story all the time. One time I said, Lord, we're going to get out of debt, but we're going to stay faithful to tithing. And $5,000 in cash showed up on my front doorstep. We used that money and we were able to pay off our car. And that was our last debt that we had. And we started the year and said, God, I want to be the first one in Love City Church to experience no more debt. And because of that, now I say, you, people are getting out of debt, out of debt, out of debt. And do they, do they give up tithing? No, they, that's where they start. God does something supernatural. He says, I will pour down a blessing until there is no more need. Look at this. And I will rebuke the devourer. Do you know the devourer is the spirit of man? I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. I will, I will, I will rebuke that 
spirit of mammon in your life. I will rebuke the devour. I'll rebuke the poverty mindset. I'll rebuke this idea that, that money can meet all your needs. God meets your needs. God supplies for all of your needs. God gave you that job. God gave you the wisdom. God gave you the talent. God gave you the gifting. God gave you the connection. God opened the door. God did that. It's his. It belongs to him. He says, I will absolutely destroy the demonic forces that are trying to take out your finances you just return to me what belongs to me. This is such a sobering, sobering day today because I want you to understand that God will, he will bless your your 90%. He will redeem your 90%. He will protect your 90%. And this is where we're going next week. We're going to teach you next week that this is what love of God, this is how we love God with our money, is we give the first to the Lord and we return the first to God. And the goal is, can you believe living your life on 80%? You live a great life, blessed life on 80% and you actually give away 20% of your income? We see 10% here loving God and this is where we're going to go next week, spirit-led generosity. This is where we love people. So we honor God and praise God with our first God. You can have my first God because you gave it all to me. And he says, praise God. Now I'm going to bless you in a way where now I'm going to begin to increase the ability for you to be spirit-led in your generosity. When you walk into church and somebody's got a need, you're able to pull a wad of cash out of your pocket and say, guess what? This money came out of nowhere. I don't know where it came from, but I'm going to give it to you. And God says, perfect, let me give you some more. Perfect, let me give you some more. Perfect, because you've been faithful with the little, you'll be faithful with much. This is our goal. This is what Barnabas understood. This is what they taught all throughout the, old, the, the New and the Old Testament. And I can talk to you about the realities of this, but I believe that this is a financial picture of what God wants for every person in our church to look like because you can live 80% and live a life that no one else around you can live because God is in charge of every dollar in my bank account and he is on the throne, amen? Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to pray here today for our finances. Come on, right now, I just want to pray for you today. Just you close your eyes for a moment? Firstly, Lord, I just want to say thank you for taking care of our church. <laughs> thank you that God, that this message comes from a sincere place of loving people, pastoring people, not from a place of need or angst. God, because we trust you. I'm not worried about that, Lord. I pray for every person in the room, God, who has been hoarding the first. God, I say that because I'm I'm concerned, the Lord, that we need to return to you. Lord, there's so many false things taught about this, God, because there's been so many uh, pastors and churches who have used this as a human effort to, to, to derail people and to take advantage of people. And Lord, that's not our heart. We want them to experience financial freedom. We want them to experience what Barnabas experienced, the ability to just give it away and just give money away, Lord, and just bless other people, Father. And we believe that, Lord, there is a supernatural blessing unlocked to us giving our 10%, what's first in our finances, back to you. I pray for those in the room who are experiencing fear, those who are angry, (laughs) those who are upset, those who... Lord, have a hard time with this. Holy Spirit, you alone can reveal this to them. You alone can speak to their heart. You alone can show them the scripture. You alone can remind them that God, 
You are the faithful God that provided for all of our needs. So Father, I pray right now for every person in the room, God, who's just nervous and afraid and scared and feeling shame or guilt or feeling uh, anger or frustrated. God, I just pray, Holy Spirit, you bring peace. Just peace. To know that, Lord, that you provide for all of our needs and that you are faithful and you've always been faithful. We just say thank you, Lord, for today. And as they go today, God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just continue to speak to them. I just rebuke the devourer right now. I rebuke the spirit of mammon that would want to try to trick them and steal them away from this truth that's in Scripture that would bring freedom to their life. Less fighting in the home, praise God. Less fighting between spouses, praise God. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Come on, let's sing this song together. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.